For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Dutch officials are concerned that wolves in the Netherlands are becoming too tame and may become a danger to humans. So, they've hit upon a solution endorsed by middle school boys around the world. Paintballs. Conservation officers in the province of Gelderland will be using paintball guns to scare away wolves and make them think twice before approaching people. The decision comes in the wake of a video from a national park, whose name I will not attempt to pronounce, but it's safe to assume that it's got something to do with wooden shoes, windmills, woodworking, and chocolate, or, you know, dikes and levees and things like that. Anyway, that video shows a wolf in broad daylight strolling past a family of children. I know what you're thinking. Only in Gelderland. Officials say they chose paintball guns so park rangers can see which wolves have already been hit. They're hoping to convince the canines to stay at least 100 feet away from park visitors, and any wolf caught with paint on its fur will have to leave the game until the next round begins. The decision has sparked some controversy, but not for the reasons you might expect. Animal rights groups seem to be okay with wolves getting shot with paintballs, but they've accused park officials of causing the original problem. An environmentalist organization, whose name I also won't try to pronounce, has claimed that park employees, not visitors, have been feeding the wolves to make them tame. They've been doing this, according to the BBC, to create problem wolves that can be legally culled, which seems like a totally unnecessary and additional step if you want to shoot a wolf. Park officials have denied the accusations. This week, wolves, bears, and mink. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. 
And my week was, well, I was getting stuff done. Still have a couple of tags in the pocket. I'd like to spend some time on, you know, birds too. Little Snort is acting like an absolute maniac when I do get her out, which reminds me, the Snort Report. We did sneak out one morning last week to get our very own Phil the Engineer into the field for his first pheasant hunt. Like many of you, Phil's first hunt was a pen-raised bird situation on a state wildlife management area. If you've been paying attention to Montana's decision to reinvigorate this pheasant release program, you know it has been controversial. The birds are raised at the state prison located in Deer Lodge, Montana. Go Wardens. The budget is a million bucks, and it kind of brings up the movie The Shawshank Redemption, where the warden is taking bribes to put his prisoners to work, where the work won't hurt local contractors. Um, yeah, it does. Except the gripe over this Inside Out program is the prisoners are pheasants, and when they're released, they just, you know, they don't last long. Which is why folks such as myself would rather see those dollars go to Habitat, which keeps birds here long term. And you know what? If, you know, the state prison wants to do Habitat work, I'm all for that. Anyway, Phil... Please give me your impressions of the program. From the lips, the supple, soft lips of a first-time pheasant hunter, as opposed to, you know, my calloused, old, beat-up lips. Go ahead, Phil. Thank you, Cal. I don't really have anything profound to say about the program or any other pheasant hunting experiences that I've had because I have not had any. But I can tell you what some of my expectations were going in. I drive past a ton of pheasants every day, just on my way to work. They're hanging out on hay bales, running through ditches, seemingly trying to get hit by my car. Not very afraid of people or cars. So when Cal invited me along for this trip and told me about the program and how a bunch of these pheasants were just released onto this land, I think I was expecting to see pheasants just hanging out on the ground, in trees, walking around. Turns out not the case. Pheasants don't really want to be seen or caught. They want to stay warm and not come face to face with a snort dog. So when we pulled up, there were no pheasants to be seen. And uh, that was a little surprising to me. And this is where the dogs come in. I don't know why I thought this because Cal is talking about snort every single week on this podcast. But I didn't know how involved these dogs are. They're getting in there. Snort is running back and forth and going crazy. Sniffing, sniffing, sniffing this way and that way. Tail pointing this way and that way. Ears pointing this way and that way. Sniffing out these birds. And that's the only way the birds are going to show themselves, because they are trying to hide in these thick, snow-covered bushes and trees. And when Snort sniffs one out, there it goes. And you have a very small window of opportunity to, one, identify the sex, two, get the gun up, and three, make an accurate shot, before it either flies away or immediately finds new cover to hide in. But even though the birds were not hanging on the tree like Christmas ornaments, I still ended up coming home with a limit of three. It was a great experience. It's the kind of hunt you can walk and talk and learn and not have to stay too quiet. And I know that ended up being more of a brief hunting recap than any sort of insightful look into this program. But I guess my takeaway is that even with these pen-raised pheasants being released into the wild with no experience living on their own like this, they still managed to get away from us. We were walking around for a couple of hours before we actually started getting into the birds. It was a great learning experience. Thank you again to Cal and his buddy Adam for taking me out. And an extra big thank you to Snort. Keep up the good work. 
The program is intended as a hunter recruitment tool. We had some birds slip away from us. We had some birds land in trees. We had a bird that Snort kind of cut out the middleman on and just retrieved herself with no shots fired. It was good practice, practice being safe with guns, practice communicating in the field, practice being with new hunting partners and dogs, practice identifying the sex of the bird as it flies, practice cleaning, preparing, and eating birds. All of which is awesome, and I want people to have those opportunities, but I have seen some stuff, okay? I've been around, you know? And when I travel to far-flung exotic locales, such as North and South Dakota, Kansas, Georgia, and I see what those states are doing in regards to habitat work, well, that is still where I would like to see the money spent here in Montana. Moving on to the elections desk. The midterm elections are finally over. Republicans are doing some soul-searching after their red wave turned into a red trickle and Democrats are holding the kind of nervous celebrations you have after dodging a bullet or escaping a burning building. I'll save the in-depth political analysis for the talking heads on CNN, but if you care about conservation, the election actually went pretty well. That's because conservation is one of the only issues that crosses party lines. While the loudest opponents of public land tend to be Republican, they're increasingly in the minority. Why? Because you speak up and tell them that you're idiots. Over 100 Republicans voted in favor of the Great American Outdoors Act in 2020, and over 40 Republicans in the House voted for the Recovering America's Wildlife Act in 2021. This means that if the U.S. Congress is looking to get something done, they may turn to conservation legislation. Party leaders, hoping for a win, won't get anywhere on controversial topics like guns, abortion, or Social Security but they may be able to notch at least one win by compromising on a conservation bill that can secure support from both Republicans and Democrats. Compromise means that, you know, no one gets everything they want, but hopefully we can push the ball a little bit further in the, you know, habitat, conservation, clean water, clean air space. Charlie Boer also told me that the spring after midterm elections are historically good times for this kind of legislation. Now, Charlie is a consultant with Watershed Results, a lobbying firm that specializes in conservation policy. He pointed out that the John D. Dingle Conservation Management and Recreation Act passed in March of 2019 after the 2018 midterms. That bill consisted of more than 100 individual bills that were introduced by 50 senators and several House members. It included provisions like the permanent authorization of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the Every Kid Outdoors program, and improvements to public land access. It passed on an overwhelmingly bipartisan basis in both chambers and was signed by President Trump. If history holds, and a divided Congress is looking to bring back at least one win to their constituents, it could be a great time to get some of these big federal bills across the finish line. Now you need to keep listening here. Okay, I've said scary words like Democrats and Republicans, but this is where you come in, so pay attention. Now is the time to get in touch with your U.S. senators and representatives. Tell them you want them to pass the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, the CWD Research and Management Act, the North American Grasslands Conservation Act, and the America's Outdoor Recreation Act. Also, start paying attention to the Farm Bill. There's always a bunch of stuff in there 
that truly matters to hunters and anglers here in the United States. Most importantly, tell them that they have constituents from both parties who spend money all over the place that want to see habitat and species permanently protected, and that you'll be watching how they vote leading up to their next election. No, we won't get all of what we want. But if you take your off-season as seriously as you do your hunting season, we will make some gains. So limber up those email fingers and memorize the number to the United States Capitol switchboard, 202-324-2121. That's 324-2121. On top of that, sign up for those conservation group newsletters. They will help keep you informed and on time. And if you got time, dial 202-324-2121, and you just tell them where you're from, and you need to talk to your representative. It's very simple, not scary. Do it. Moving on to the hunter safety desk. A Colorado hunter had to be airlifted out of a national forest last month after he impaled his leg on a broadhead-tipped arrow. But contrary to what you may be thinking, he didn't shoot himself or drop an arrow on his foot. He was walking through a patch of dense undergrowth when he ran into an arrow that had been laying in the brush. Route County Search and Rescue said this is the second time in two years they've had to rescue a hunter who had impaled himself on someone else's arrow. This time, the hunter was by himself and was only saved after waiting hours in the backcountry. He sent an SOS on his rescue beacon and stayed in place until the crew made the four-mile hike through dense timber and knee-deep swamp. They found that he'd impaled his leg above the knee, and he'd already removed the arrow by the time they arrived. While he survived and is currently recovering, medical experts say that it's best not to remove any object that's punctured you. Try to stabilize it. There's a bunch of ways to do this. YouTube's a great resource. You just don't know how deep that thing is inside of you or what it may be rubbing against. Stabilize it. Leave it alone. If you can imagine, surgeons are better at doing this than you are. They can remove it while minimizing nerve and tissue damage. This story is also a great reminder that your arrows don't just disappear after you miss an animal. And I have certainly looked down and been shocked to see my quiver that had arrows just about ready to fall out. I haven't lost one yet, but you got to pay attention out there. Those razor-sharp broadheads remain on the landscape, and they can injure anything from animals to other hunters to unsuspecting hikers. I know, you don't want to hear this. It's like hunting is serious responsibility. A 12-year-old boy in Minnesota was shot and killed last month while squirrel hunting with his uncle. The investigation is still ongoing, but right now it appears that Jeremy Herr of St. Paul, Minnesota, was standing near a stump when his uncle fired a squirrel that was on the stump. The uncle claims not to have seen Jeremy, and the sheriff's office has said the incident appears to have been an accident and no charges are pending. I'll keep you updated as this case progresses, but at the very least, it's a tragic reminder that even a small caliber rifle, such as a 22, is very dangerous. You're not going to blow somebody's arm off, but it's more than enough to kill somebody. Whenever you're squirrel hunting in a group, know where every member of the party is at all times. Communicate. If you're unsure, don't take the shot. It's a squirrel for Christ's sakes, especially if that squirrel's on the ground. Now, we know guns should be handled with care, even when you're not actively hunting, 
Another hunter was shot and killed by his friend earlier this month as the friend was trying to put his rifle in a gun case. Now how often have we heard that? Sheriff's deputies in Elko County, Nevada told local media that they were dispatched on November 1st for reports of a hunter who had been shot in the chest in the North Pequot Mountains. The victim was pronounced dead at the scene and no charges have been announced as of this recording. To avoid situations like this, follow the four rules of gun safety. Treat every gun like it's loaded. Keep your finger off the trigger. Don't point the gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. And know your target and what's beyond. As an added safety precaution, anytime you handle a weapon, I don't care who gives it to you, it is more than appropriate to make sure it's unloaded even if you've been told it's unloaded. Nobody in your hunting circle or peer group or whoever should ever give you crap for just checking one more time. Throw a little pinky action in there too. You know, make sure that chamber's empty. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground but i use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that sea foam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, sea foam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Sea foam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of sea foam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it, you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on sea foam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of sea foam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the least controversial desk, the Wolf Desk. 
A judge in Montana issued a restraining order last week that temporarily restricted the state's wolf hunting season. The order came at the request of two animal rights groups that recently sued the state for passing a series of bills last year that loosened wolf hunting regulations. The two groups, Wild Earth Guardians and Project Coyote, argue that Montana's Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department is using a faulty and illegal wolf management strategy. The state legislature passed four widely criticized bills last year that made it easier for hunters and trappers to target wolves. The legislation authorized hunting at night, extended hunting seasons, and allowed an individual to kill up to 20 wolves. Wild Earth Guardians and Project Coyote argue that the state's method of estimating the wolf population aren't accurate and that there are far fewer wolves in Montana than the state believes. The lawsuit alleges that the state, quote, relies on an outdated and scientifically deficient wolf management plan. The state has authorized the taking of 456 wolves this year, which these groups claim is well over 40% of the state's population. The suit claims that the state has undercounted wolves because it has failed to update its wolf management plan from 2002. Due to these and other deficiencies, they accuse Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks of violating the Montana Constitution, the Montana Administrative Procedures Act, and other state and federal laws meant to protect wildlife. Two weeks after this lawsuit was filed, these groups filed a follow-up motion asking for the state's wolf hunting season to be suspended. The season has already started, but the group still asked the court to issue an injunction on all recreational wolf harvest until their lawsuit is settled. The court didn't end the wolf hunt completely, but the judge did force the state to adopt reduced quotas in several management units, and he restricted total bag limits to five wolves per person per season. Judge Christopher Abbott made it clear that he was not ruling on the merits of the lawsuit. Instead, he argued that a temporary and partial injunction was warranted because irreparable harm could be done without it. He agreed, in other words, that these new laws could accelerate the decline of the wolf population to just an extent that the court wouldn't be able to issue a ruling that set the matter right, which is a really interesting and non-scientific take from our judge. To my knowledge, there has been only one peer-reviewed study on population-level declines in wolf populations. In that study, which was conducted in Alaska, a 60% harvest rate or higher would need to be maintained for multiple contiguous seasons to see population-level decline. So, if the maximum allowable harvest were to be met here of over 40% of the population, we would still see consistent population, if not increasing wolf population, in the state of Montana. Now, what the judge may be getting at is, if we were to see a scary, huge drop in the wolf population, then we could be teed up to see the wolf relisted, but I don't think that's going to happen, but I'll give the judge the benefit of the doubt on that one. The Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department has not responded to requests from the media, saying that it does not comment on ongoing litigation. However, according to an August report from the department, the wolf population has remained stable over the last decade or so. The population in 2021 was 1,141 individuals, which is just a little shy of its peak in 2011, when there were about 1,256 wolves on the landscape. The population has remained resilient, even though wolf hunting has been steadily increasing in popularity throughout that time period. Quick comment on wolf hunting popularity. Wolves are really hard to hunt. For instance, if you recall the state of Idaho passed sweeping wolf hunting legislation, also providing for the use of night vision, 
well, there's no magic tools in the toolbox. They got their night vision, but according to the state of Idaho, zero wolves have been killed using night vision. Wolf hunting popularity typically coincides with abundant wolves, right? Just like everything else, people want stuff to be easy. If you're seeing wolves all the time, and you have this idea that you could go out and get one, then there's going to be more people wolf hunting. Not many hunters have what it takes to consistently hunt and fail enough times to actually kill wolves, which is exactly why the personal take of wolves went from 5 to 20. No one, not a single person, would ever put so much as a dollar down on the odds of multiple people in one state killing 20 wolves per person through hunting. But a small percentage of hunters did hit the five wolf maximum allowable take. So that adjustment from five to 20, even though it pertained to everyone, was really just providing for those very few successful wolf hunters, the folks that really know what they're doing and probably don't have actual jobs and just go out there and hunt all the time, that provided them the legal means to take more which is just like taking up the slack for all the folks like me who buy a wolf tag and never kill one. I don't know where this lawsuit will end up, but you'll have to forgive me for being a little skeptical of the suits brought by these kind of animal rights groups. Sometimes it seems like they're more interested in launching high-profile lawsuits than actually protecting animals. I'll tell you right now, if they don't think the state's method of counting wolves on the ground is accurate, they're right. These are estimates. Lots of trees and bushes for wolves to hide behind or under when you fly a plane, and it's hard to have game cameras on every mountain trail. So yes, absolutely, that data could be off, but it could be off in either direction. These groups don't explain how they know the state is overcounting rather than undercounting the wolf population. But I bet they're somewhat right and, of course, somewhat wrong. Additionally, There is no evidence for their claim that these new wolf hunting regs pose an existential risk to wolves in the state. Wolves are resilient and smart, and again, the hunting and trapping of wolves is very difficult. If they can support any of these claims with evidence, I'm very happy to report it right here on the Week in Review. But right now, they're asking the state to pause all hunting based on nothing more than conjecture. Moving on to the bear desk. The wolf hunt in Montana is coming under fire, but the bear hunt in Missouri is picking up steam. After being mostly extirpated from the state by 1931, the black bear population in Missouri has been making a comeback. Reintroduction efforts in Arkansas have increased bear numbers in the southern portions of Missouri, and state biologists determined that the population could withstand a hunting season beginning in 2021. Twelve bears were harvested last year, and the Missouri Department of Conservation recently announced that hunters had taken eight bears during this year's October 17 to October 26 season. Nearly 6,000 hunters applied for 400 permits this year, with a maximum total harvest of 40 bears. 350 hunters decided to purchase permits. All eight bears were harvested in the state's bear management zone number one, which is the southwest portion of the state, bordering Arkansas and Oklahoma. Three bears were killed with bows, and five were killed with firearms. While biologists are confident that the population can support a hunting season, hunting is still strictly regulated. Hunters are required to call in every morning before their hunt to ensure the harvest quota in their bear management zone has been met. Hunters didn't get close to meeting their quotas in any of the zones. 
and Missouri bear biologist Nate Bowersock says that because the acorns were so plentiful, bears were happy to stay in one spot and gorge themselves on acorns. So they weren't moving around as much. Hunting is always better when animals are dispersing, so hunters this year had a harder time finding their quarry. With the success of the last two seasons, I'm sure the state will continue to allow bear hunting in the future. All you show-me state residents are in luck. Moving on to the crime desk. A turkey poacher in Indiana has become the first hunter in state history to receive a lifetime hunting suspension. 25-year-old Hanson Pusey was also sentenced last week by the Warren County Court to home detention, probation, and a slew of fees, according to Fox 59. I cover tons of poaching stories every year, and I almost never hear about a lifetime hunting suspension. Even for the worst of wildlife violations, a poacher might get a 10- or 20-year suspension, along with fines or even jail time. Pusey's license has been previously suspended after being caught poaching turkeys in Indiana, as well as North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. He hunted on property without permission and stole trail camera cards, I suppose in an attempt to hide his crimes. He didn't hide them well enough, though. When officers searched his home, they found spent shotgun shells with places and dates written on them. They soon realized this was how Pusey was recording his turkey kills. They found 83 spent shells, including 14 dated within three months of his license being suspended in 2019. As with most serial poachers, wildlife violations weren't his only cup of tea. Court records show he was charged with strangulation and battery resulting in bodily injury in 2015. Pusey was fined in all seven states for his wildlife crimes, including over $4,000 in Pennsylvania and $2,000 in Georgia. Also, thanks to the Interstate Wildlife Violator Compact, he won't be allowed to purchase a hunting license in any of the 50 states, not just Indiana. Now, you might be asking yourself, this guy doesn't care about breaking the law, why would he care about a lifetime hunting ban? Which is a very fair point. I'm sure he hasn't killed his last turkey. But officials are clearly trying to make a statement with his sentence. I'd be willing to bet that the next time he gets caught with a turkey, he'll have more than fines to worry about. And, you know, probably the next turkey he's going to be eating is going to be covered in prison gravy. Moving on to the jailbreak desk. Over 25,000 mink escaped from a farm in Ohio last week after someone broke into the facility and opened their cages. Van Wert County Sheriff Thomas Riggenbach announced on Facebook that his office was looking for the culprit responsible for breaking into the Lion Farm's USA mink farm and releasing the small carnivorous mammals. Between 25,000 and 40,000 mink made a break for it, but many remained on the property and were able to be corralled by farm employees. However, about 10,000 are still unaccounted for. No suspects have been apprehended as of this recording, but someone spray-painted the letters ALF on one of the farm buildings along with the words, We'll be back. ALF, which stands for Animal Liberation Front, is a loosely organized animal rights group that has engaged in these kinds of shenanigans before. They often target farms or facilities where animals are raised for harvest or used for research. Ironically, most of the mink that escape will end up dead within a few days, and not just at the hands of chicken farmers looking to protect their flocks. Eddie Meyer, the manager of the mink farm, told local media that these animals have never learned to hunt or survive in the wild, they're domesticated, and he doesn't believe they have the tools they need to survive. If you've been listening and wondering what exactly is a mink, I'm here to help. 
There are two species of mink, both of which are in the Mustelidae family, more commonly known as the weasel family. Both the European and American mink measure 12 to 20 inches in length and weigh about 4.5 pounds, but these farm-raised mink were likely much larger. Mink are carnivorous, and in the wild they feed on small birds, fish, frogs, and mice. The sheriff who announced the jailbreak advised residents to guard their chickens and koi ponds closely, as the recently released animals would be looking for an easy snack. Mink are prized for their fur, they've been a pillar of the fur industry, and today they're raised on farms. Also ironically for the ALF folks, these farms have expanded the American mink population far outside their native northern hemisphere. Thanks to voluntary, and as in this case, involuntary releases, American mink have established populations in Europe and South America, where they wreak havoc on native species. So what's the Animal Liberation Front's position on liberated animals that destroy already liberated animals upon their liberation? Just a question I have. While American mink are listed as a species of least concern, European mink are listed as critically endangered. Much like the more aggressive and adaptable gray squirrel has displaced the native red squirrel in Europe, American mink have displaced their European cousins wherever they live in close proximity. I guess it's true what they say. Americans are tougher than Europeans. Um, so that must be a misquote. I guess it's true what they say. A species is only as strong as its weakest mink. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at meateater.com. And, you know, it's all this Black Friday stuff and the gift giving and finding. Go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. Go down there. Talk to them. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.